3: From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. The news on our airwaves and elsewhere continues to be extremely heavy. But we hope for the next hour to provide some respite. As a beloved grandma might say, you still gotta eat. And today we're back with another edition of All You Can Eat with Luke Tsai. We're tackling the pantry across different cultures. Distinct cuisines have their own staples, and we'll talk with several chefs who help you stock the right things to cook the foods that you love. A good pantry is not only about having the essentials, but it's also about economy, making the most with the fewest trips to the store. Stay tuned as we develop a theory of the pantry. That's all coming up next, after this news. Welcome to Forum, I'm Alexis Madrigal. It's Wednesday, time for another edition of All You Can Eat with Luke Sy, where we celebrate the Bay Area's many food cultures. Now, normally we talk about restaurants and chefs, but we know that there are many serious home cooks out there. And you know, in this economy, cooking at home is both necessity and at least for me, also a pleasure. When I was younger, when I wanted to cook, I would go buy everything I needed for a recipe. But come on now, I had to grow up, learn to stock a pantry, and some basics go a long way, and some pantry specialties are exactly what's needed to make a dish taste the way it should. Today, we'll help you stock the right things for the cuisines you love. We're joined first by Luke Tsai, KQED's food editor. As always, welcome, Luke. Thanks so much, Alexis. And we're joined by Allie Slagle, chef, recipe developer, and now author of the newsletter with the intriguing name, 40 Ingredients Forever. Welcome, Allie.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
3: Uh, Luke, let's start basic. What's in your
0: pantry?
1: (laughs) Uh, Too much stuff, Um, I I, I would say, like a lot of uh, other people. Um, But I think, uh, you know, I was looking in my pantry before this show um, and things that sort of stood out to me um, that are kind of uh, exemplary of, like, the way that I like to cook and the things that I keep. Um, I have... um, Sichuan chili oil um, and uh, fermented black bean paste, which, Mm. like, I keep for making everything from uh, Mapo tofu to Taiwanese beef noodle soup. Um, I have, like, all different kinds of, like, potato starches and, like, sweet potato starches and tapioca starches um, and, like, basically stuff that I coat different things in when I want to fry them. Um I have a uh, bullhead sacha sauce um plus like a freezer stocked with like everything I need to do to have hot pot other than like the vegetables which I'll buy when I want to do mm-hmm. the hot pot um and then I always have a tub of peeled garlic um preferably from Koreana market uh, which like <laughs> it comes in a little plastic cup and that the, the one from that market always seems to stay fresh um like so much longer than any other brand like it'll sit in my fridge um for weeks and weeks um and uh it saves me a lot of time peeling garlic
3: i love that i um ali your pantry too um i'm sure is amazingly well organized but there's only 40 things in it right (laughs) (laughs) tell me about like kind of the theory behind 40 40 ingredients forever
2: Sure. So um, the Substack that I launched last week, every single recipe will use the same 40 ingredients. And the idea is that, yes, it streamlines shopping, but it also allows you to get to know certain ingredients really well so that you can use them in many different ways. And what I have found in my own cooking is that by streamlining what I have around all the time, my grocery bill gets shorter, Mm
4: -hmm. my food
2: waste gets a lot better, and I'm able to to kind of know these ingredients really intimately instead of using them once and then having them stare at me. And I feel guilty that they're sitting there and I haven't been using them.
3: I mean, if I just started thinking, would I be able to get to all 40? Would like Luke and I be able to like, capture the all 40 ingredients? Or do you think there are some things that that maybe people aren't expecting that would be in there that aren't, you know, salt and pepper?
2: I have thought about if someone guesses all 40, they can have a lifetime subscription (laughs) (laughs) because I do think there are some surprising things. Um, One thing maybe that I think is different in terms of how I think about a pantry is that, you know, in the old days, a pantry was just dry ingredients that was in your cabinet. But to me, a pantry is also fresh things that that last for a really long time that you can make into dinner. So for me, like lemons are a pantry ingredient, Mm. but you might not consider it one.
3: Yeah. So basically, in your estimation, it's just lasts a long time. It's kind of the definition of the, the pantry ingredient.
2: Right. Or like you buy it at the start of the week and maybe you don't have a recipe picked out for it yet. But it's the thing that you always buy and you know that you will be able to make something with it.
3: Yeah. So how do you end up varying things up with only that number of ingredients like do you what what's what what kind of special uh, knowledge I guess do you need to be able to kind of keep things fresh at, at that level
2: sure so I think like at the really basic the way I'm thinking about it is there's kind of like the bulk ingredients so what what is like the main thing in your dish there's the flavoring agents so how are you shifting those main ingredients to make it taste interesting and then you have the cooking method. So if you pull all of those levers, which there are, you can pull them many, many times, you can come up with a ton of different ways to cook them.
3: Yeah. Um, when we think about the function of these, you know, long living pantry items, like what purpose is, should they serve it in our cooking? Are they the whole meal or are they just doing particular things like within a, a recipe?
2: So in in this project, 40 Ingredients Forever, um, I'm using only these ingredients. So there are some perishable things like vegetables and proteins and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But really, my hope is that it helps people use what they have to make what they feel like cooking. So if they really want to go to the grocery store for one thing, by all means, do it. But also, let's look inside of our fridge and our pantry and see what we already have, what that specific ingredient is contributing to the dish and seeing if you can kind of swap it into the recipe or whatever you feel like making.
3: So like as an example, maybe like uh, tomato paste is in your pantry, right? Is in the 40 ingredients. Like what can tomato paste do? Like what all the things it could do?
2: Right. So if you go to the grocery store and you look at the canned tomato products, I mean, it's kind of like half the aisle. I mean, there's diced, there's crushed, there's whole, there's sun dried, there's tomato paste. And for me, I feel like I can do everything I need with just tomato paste so I can close enough replicate all of those canned ingredients with just tomato paste. Um, So it's for me, it just makes shopping easy because I know that to make tomato paste into, say, canned tomatoes, I can just add water instead of having canned tomatoes and reducing them and reducing them until it gets concentrated enough to kind of mimic tomato paste or whatever I'm going for. Mm
3: -hmm. Uh, Luke, how do you think the restaurant scene, and you know, particularly our Bay Area restaurant scene, where it's just you know multiplicity of of types of cuisine, has changed people's sense of kind of familiarity with different cuisines, and maybe changed their pantries too because they want to be able to to duplicate or at least you know attempt to replicate those flavors?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think you know broadly speaking, I think restaurants are probably the biggest driver in terms of certain cuisines becoming um, normalized and like, quote unquote, mainstream uh, in the US. And I think that extends to what cuisines people are willing to try cooking at home. Um, And then if they're willing to try cooking them at home, then I think that obviously transforms what ingredients um, they'll seek out and that they'll need to keep on hand. And I think as far as pantry goes... Um, I think condiments is probably like mm-hmm. one of the biggest examples you know I think you know we we talk, talked on this when we had um the founders of walks of life um the Chinese cooking blog on um a few months back uh but as you know they talked about chili oil right mm-hmm. and how like maybe five or ten years ago if you had googled um chili oil probably what would have come up is like like some sort of calabrian um chili oil but as regional chinese restaurants have become more common you know sichuan restaurants or like northern chinese restaurants serving you know dumplings and things like that as those become more common um now if you google chili oil like most often what comes up is like a chinese chili oil you know something that you can serve with what comes clean. up is fly by jing <laughs> <That's what comes laughs> up. they've um, dominated the uh the uh, digital market a- absolutely you know or think about like the hoifong sriracha brand which we're having like a national crisis <laughs> mm-hmm. um about right now you know like um because they don't have the chilies that they used to have you know how many of us first encountered uh that ro- rooster uh brand um sriracha mm-hmm. at our local pho shop Right. And now we're willing to shell out thirty dollars for a bottle of it at Costco. Uh, And the fact that it's even sold at Costco is kind of like a miracle if you think about, like, where we were 10 years ago in terms of our awareness of, like, Vietnamese food and, like, other Southeast Asian foods. Um, So I think that definitely has transformed, you know, it's not just people who are from that ethnic background who are keeping those things in their pantry right now.
3: Yeah, I definitely remember from that show, Luke, with the Walks of Life family, such awesome people, that that's what placed – Chinese like, cooking wine into my pantry forever because I realized like there were certain things that just would never taste right if you didn't have that particular ingredient, it was unsubstitutable. Yeah. Um, and Ali, I was wondering, from, from your perspective, you know, what about, like, there are so many cuisines that people cook from, and they, they mix and match from, from different places. Are there things that you feel like cannot be um, duplicated um, in your 40 ingredient sort of method and must be you know purchased as they are in a, in some other kind of store?
2: Oh, I don't think so. I mean, I think no one's pantry looks the same. And, and my hope with this project is really that people, um, look at their ingredients with a new eye and think about all the potential that they already have. But I, I think, um, most ingredients, like when you're hungry and um, your child is crying, and you look into your pantry to see what you want to eat, um, sometimes like following a recipe exactly is just not going to happen. So, I think in most cases substitutions happen, and also that's kind of also how great new dishes come about.
3: <laughs> <laughs> right, right. We're talking about how to stock your pantry with Ali Slagle, creator of the newsletter Forty Ingredients Forever author of the cookbook, I Dream of Dinner So You Don't Have To, and a contributor to New York Times Cooking. We're also joined, as always, by Luke Tsai, because this is all you can eat. Uh, Luke is food editor here at KQED Arts and Cultures. Um, In the next segments, we're going to talk with specific chefs about, you know, kind of cuisine-specific pantry, and we want to hear from you. What is the ingredient that you absolutely cannot live without in your pantry, your freezer, your fridge uh the number is 866 6786 that's 866 6786 the email is forum at kqed.org you can find us on twitter you can find us on instagram you can find us on threads you can go to our discord we're kqed forum across all of those places i'm alexis madrigal stay tuned for more right after the break Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the theory and practice of the pantry with Ali Slagle, creator of the newsletter, 40 Ingredients Forever, also author of the cookbook, I Dream of Dinner, So You Don't Have To. Joined by Luke Tsai, cooked up this whole series with us, All You Can Eat. He's the uh, editor, food editor of KQD Arts and Cultures. And I want to add Viola Buitoni, who is the author of Italy by Ingredient, Artisanal Foods, modern recipes welcome
5: thank you alexis
3: so good to have you um so ali thinks of pantry items as kind of anything that will keep well what do you consider a pantry staple to be
5: well yes anything that keeps well for sure and also ali was mentioning those things that you do buy and know that at some point by the end of the week you will have done something with Mm. Um, my book tends to focus mostly on uh, long keeping ingredients with a couple of, couple of exceptions.
3: Hmm. Well, like what, like, tell me, tell me a little bit about what you think might be different about your pantry versus just, um, you know, a, a random person chosen in the street.
5: <laughs> well, you know, I was born and raised in Italy and I have been in the States many years, but, um, I have grown up with uh, very deeply steeped into the food of my culture mm. um, so as i moved from new york and to san francisco and even for some time in hawaii i kind of needed something that held me um, made a home out of every different house mm. that i was in so the italian ingredients were the first things of course that i that i went to um, because they are Fairly easy to find, you know, wherever you are. You can always get a balsamic vinegar, a good olive oil, some Parmigiano, uh, some rice, some polenta, some pasta, of course, um, and all things tomato. So uh, that is um, what informed my ingredient, my pantry growing up.
3: Mm. Talk to me about how you think about olive oil, which I feel like in our household, at least, is like the base of the food pyramid, <laughs> kind of where that is yeah. the thing we always, always use. <laughs> I think of olive
5: oil first of all. I think of olive oil often, almost every day, actually every day. And I think of it as the one, uh, the one ingredient in my pantry that can have absolutely no substitution. Um, there is a, a underlying flavor to olive oil, to cooking with olive oil, to dressing things with olive oil that cannot be substituted by anything else. Um, I do have other oils that I use in my pantry. I love avocado oil. I do have a chili oil that was taught to me by, uh, by a fr- my friend, Linda. Mm. Uh, but, um, Olive oil is the one thing that I go to all the time.
3: Mm. And do you believe you need to buy very fancy olive oil or do you believe it's possible to, you know, stock the pantry with this particular thing mm. in in some more reasonable way? Like what's your approach to the to the purchase of olive oil? Do you have multiple levels of olive oil that you purchase?
5: I do, but, you know, I cook a lot, right? I also have like six, seven different kinds of flowers. <laughs> but for, <laughs> for I think we're the person who cooks every day, you don't need to have um, a ton of different olive oils, nor flowers. Um, the way that I approach it is mostly about how is the olive oil made? It is for me more about the responsibility and the sustainability of the uh, producer of the olive oil rather than um you know, how much I pay for it or the quality that it is, Um, a responsible producer will by default put out a good product. Um, So I always look for the date when I buy olive oil. There should be a date of production and a a best buy date. Um, I always look for signs that tell me that it it wasn't only packaged, but also actually, actually a the olives were harvested in the same place and nowadays because actually in italy uh fraud in olive oil has become criminally persecutable oh my um, gosh People yeah people tend to be quite serious so they will put if they got their olives somewhere else it will say in the back of the label you know this is where the olives came from so always turn your bottle around before buying olive oil
3: yeah so there's a couple of items that I think are in, you know, the the staples in your book, your your new book, uh, Italy by Ingredient. You know, we've got capers, we've got anchovies. <laughs> and I think yes. these are things that like really matter in your cooking. And maybe you could talk about what you think those two ingredients do, which at least, you know, we have them now in my house now, but I, I didn't have them grown up.
5: So, yeah, I should say that I always had them growing up. In fact, um, bread, butter, and anchovies with a little bit of latte was a bref- <laughs> almost a daily breakfast growing up. <laughs> so, um, so first of all, they are huge vehicle of salt, right? So that is always important in cooking the right seasoning. Um, also, they are builders of flavor. They already have kind of like a really deep, deeply built-in flavor that can bring um really lots of layering and depth to a dish without much effort. Mm. And that is what I try to say in my book. If you have these ingredients in your pantry, you don't need to do very long cooking things or elaborate things because the flavor is delivered quite quickly by these ingredients. Anchovies and capers are probably the um, the best demonstration of that theory.
3: Talk to me a little bit about how you, I mean, you grew up in an incredibly seasonal eating Italian environment. Um, How does your pantry adapt to kind of different seasons here in the Bay Area?
5: Beautifully. I mean, you know, the Bay Area is like one of the richest agricultural landscapes one can be in. So when I moved um, here, I was spent some time in New York between Italy and the Bay Area. And I was absolutely thrilled to find not only the, um, the variety of vegetables, but also the continuous availability of it and the quality of them. So I like to cook with, with whatever is fresh around me and might not necessarily pertain to my culture. You know, of course, I like pita green. In Italy, we love our broccoli and all of their cousins. But I also love lots of Asian um, vegetables, for example. I right. love Chinese broccoli and, and bok choy. Um, so I adapt the, the depth of the flavors that are a protagonist of my book mm-hmm. to whatever it is that I find around me. And that's, you know, the second part of making your house a home. I
3: love it. We're talking about kind of the theory and practice of the pantry, joined by Viola Butoni, who's author of Italy by Ingredient, Artisanal Foods, Modern Recipes, which is just out, right? You're like on book tour was, as we speak.
5: Um, book tour, yeah. I'm joining you from Chicago. Oh, yeah. So I, uh, yes, it's been out just over a month. Okay,
3: that's so great. Uh, we're also joined by Luke Sai, food editor with KQED Arts and Culture, and Ali Slagle, creator of the newsletter 40 Ingredients Forever on Substack, author of the cookbook I Dream of Dinner, So you don't have to. But I want to dream of dinner, Allie. This is a problem. Um, (laughs) We also want to hear from you. What is the single ingredient in your pantry that you cannot live without? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. We're going to get to some calls in just a second. You can also email forum at kqed.org. You know, all the social things were KQED forum. Got some answers uh, coming in. One listener writes, I can't live without beans. My family is from Mexico, so beans can be a side or main dish or a salad ingredient. Entire generations have thrived thanks to beans. I keep dried pinto beans and lentils for cooking from scratch and also cans of black pinto, garbanzo, and kidney beans when I need them in a pinch or for salads. Canned corn is also a must. Another listener writes in to say, Maldon salt. And uh, Hope writes in to say, the two items I can't live without in my pantry are smoked paprika and Worcestershire sauce. Both have wonderful savory flavors are an, and are an easy way to add complexity to meat dishes. We're going to come back to spices in just a sec, but let's bring in Louise in Berkeley. Hello. Hi, Louise.
6: Oh, hi. yeah. I, I, I just have like a, a little collection. It's garlic. Ginger, soy sauce,
7: and sesame oil it can flavor, you know, rice, vegetables. I just always like to have them around.
3: Do you have a particular soy sauce, or are you just sort of like whatever you find or have or is available?
7: Yeah, just whatever. I'm I'm not that specialized. Yeah.
3: <laughs> All right, Luis, Thanks uh, so much for that. I appreciate that. I want to bring in uh, another chef, Linda Tay Esposito. Uh, specializes in Southeast Asian cooking, teaches at 18 Reasons, Milk Street Kitchen, and the Civic Kitchen. Welcome to the show, Linda.
8: Thank you, Alexis.
3: Um, so talk to me. What's the most important ingredient in your sort of Malaysian slash Chinese slash Southeast Asian pantry?
8: Uh, what's the most in- important ingredient? If you kind of take the common denominator for all of these, it would be rice.
3: Mm. but
8: you know um across these uh countries but you know every single country has its own you know key ingredient that makes the cuisine what it is so you know as a culinary you know educator um, I try to, you know, work with my students to help them understand, you know, what those basic ingredients is for each of these cuisine, so that they can go home and recreate that dish, um, and and you know, expand from there.
3: Yeah. So I know that part of your curriculum in your classes is you have sort of five ingredients um like kind of a a little kind of base ingredients so where would you start um say in in chinese cooking like what would your base ingredients be there
8: The this class series at 18 Reasons, um, we start with, uh, for the Chinese one, it would be sesame oil, soy sauce, salt, sugar, and oil, which is, you know, something we expect, you know, most people to have. Uh, Maybe not the sesame oil, but that's the one that, you know, makes it Chinese. Like for our Vietnamese one, we swap out the sesame oil with fish sauce. So, so back to the Chinese, that would be the five ingredients. And in this, uh, in those classes, we add like no more than five other fresh ingredients. Um, you know, as uh, Ali had said, you know, the bulk ingredients, you know, the uh, to the seasoning ingredient and create an entire meal out of it.
3: Mm, yeah. What is your approach to purchasing soy sauce? Like I, I, when I go to Berkeley bowl and I look at, my options i'm sometimes just overwhelmed <laughs> and if the recipe that i have been trying to execute say doesn't call for a specific type i'm not really sure what to buy that should be sort of like the the my basic soy sauce like the thing i would just put on some rice for my kids you know i'm not sure uh what to do
8: uh there's so many different brands if we go to uh, i'm not familiar as much with berkeley ball i usually get my soy sauce from um the the, the japanese stores here Um, I try to look at the color, Um, not too dark, not too light, but mostly it's really the taste. So sometimes you really have to buy it and, you know, see whether it works for you or not. Um, Soy sauce is really a vehicle for umami and some is just saltiness and nothing Mm. more than that. Um, Yeah, you can, you know, which you can easily use salt, but the umaminess in soy sauce is what makes soy sauce, soy sauce. So, you know, you might buy a bottle and not really like it and then buy another bottle. And, you know, the good news is that these are, you know, just a few dollars. (sighs) So it's not, you know, um, uh, it's not going to break the bank.
4: Yeah, yeah.
8: Um, You know, of course, you can spring for, you know, uh, good soy sauce. And you know that it's going to go like the ones from the Japanese pantries; They are amazing. Um, Or Taiwanese soy sauce. Those are amazing. Yeah.
3: Luke side, do you have a particular favorite to share with us?
1: Um, a particular soy sauce. yeah,
3: a particular soy sauce
1: um yeah, I use the um I think the brand is Pearl River um uh and I use their light uh soy sauce Pearl River Bridge um mm. their light soy sauce. that's what I use for Chinese cooking um and um yeah, I, but but I you know I'm similar to you like I feel like soy sauce is like such a deep, uh, deep subject matter that I'm just only just learning about. You know, mm-hmm. like even like I, I come from Taiwan and and just like only recently have I learned that Taiwanese soy sauce is like completely different and has its own character. And so um a friend of mine bought me like a sampler pack of like <laughs> li- little bottles of like wow. six different Taiwanese soy sauces and and some of them you use for um dipping, some of them you use as like a base for um, a sauce. Um and so I, I feel like you know, soy sauce is like, I guess, similar to like olive oil that that um, Viola was talking about. It's just like it is such a crucial ingredient. And I think there is just a lot to learn um, just by experimenting with it.
3: Yeah. When my friend Robin started uh, an olive oil company called Fat Gold, um I suddenly was just exposed to such a wider array of olive oils than I had ever really thought. you know I mean, I think in the US we, we largely tend to, to think of it as kind of one thing. But viola, really, I think Italians would even think of maybe olive oils from different regions having different flavors and knowing particular olive types, right? I mean these these subjects can go very, very deep.
5: Absolutely. In fact, I should say, Alexis, that I do have fat gold on my counter, and I and I love it. So, <laughs> go on I'll it tell him. Your friend. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, I mean, you know, uh, generally, and this is a generalization, but the further south you go in Italy, and the more bitter the olive oil gets. So that if you're in Liguria, then you have or or around the uh, lake garda you have what we define more as a floral olive oil as you're coming down in umbria and parts of tuscany you have an olive oil the olive oil that has like the little pinch in your throat and then when you get down south especially if you go to puglia which is the heel of italy the defining flavor is bitterness and uh, the olive that defines um Puglian olive oil is coratina, which is known to be quite bitter, and it is kind of a flavor that you have to grow up with. Otherwise, it's, it's difficult to uh, incorporate in your eating. Yeah.
3: You know, here's a, a question from a listener. I mean, how long can you keep olive oil? Um, do you do you need to use it up fairly quickly, or can it? Is that the kind of thing you can keep in your pantry for a long time? And I think I know the answer, but I want to ask you anyway.
5: <laughs> the answer is you have to use it up fairly quickly. Yes, you know we always talk about all your nuovo. That's like the latest thing to come to come out, right? All your nuovo means new oil, and new oil is not going to be new forever, like things become old and so we call olio nuovo just within the first three months of its life so somewhere between like february and march you should have either gone through your olio nuovo or be all the way halfway down through it and then you can keep using it okay and of course knowing that it changes because the uh the um, polyphenols in it kind of break down and they become different. So it becomes a little mellower. But olive oil mm. should not stay forever. At some point, it's going to get rancid. That's why I was telling people, turn it around and make sure that there's actually a date on it. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is you want to keep it away from uh, heat and away from too much light. Mm.
3: Here's uh, another thing, Alice Slagle, this one is coming to you. Another thing that I probably keep for too long, uh, spices. We did a show on spices, which... Did try it? Did mostly convince me that I shouldn't just keep, you know, uh, paprika sitting in there for like two years. Um, what's what's your approach to to spices in your uh, cooking?
2: Um, I would say, well, first, when you buy a spice, put the date with a sharpie on the container so you remember when you bought it. So that way, why have I
3: never thought of that? <laughs>
2: So that way in three years, if you're smelling and you're not sure if it's fresh or not, you can just look at the date and, and answer it. But also um, just tasting a little bit of the spice and seeing seeing if it is as pungent as you want it to be. If it's not, it's probably past its prime.
3: Oh, that's a pretty simple uh, <laughs> approach. <laughs> I'm,
2: I'm sorry, I don't have more science behind it. But it's like if you taste it and it doesn't taste great, it's probably not great.
3: Yeah. Viola, how do you feel about uh, about dried spices? Is that an essential part of your cooking or not?
5: Oh yes, absolutely it is. Italians do use a lot of spices. The some of the spices that we use quite a bit of are nutmeg, cinnamon, cloves. All the warming spices mm. are actually quite big in Italy. The only difference is that we tend to use them in savory rather than sweet dishes. And I also, since I have lived outside of Italy for a long time, I've incorporated things like uh, ginger. I adore ginger, both fresh and dry. Um, and I have, you know, no less than like seven or eight kind of peppers and different chilies. Um, so yes, we use those quite a bit. And my mm. husband, I should say, is part is part Egyptian. So there's also that part that comes into my cooking.
3: Mm. We're talking about how to stock your pantry, answering some questions. We're joined by Viola Buitoni, author of Italy by Ingredient, Artisanal Foods, Modern Recipes, new book, Uh, Check that out. Luke Tsai is the food editor of KQED Arts and Culture. We're also joined by Linda Tay Esposito, who is a chef who specializes in Southeast Asian cuisine and teaches at 18 Reasons, Milk Street Kitchen and the Civic Kitchen. And we're also joined by Ali Slagle, creator of the newsletter 40 Ingredients Forever and author of the cookbook I Dream of Dinner, so you don't have to. As you can tell, I'm getting my questions answered about common pantry items. Um, what do you want to know about the things that you've got sitting in your pantry and you're not really sure what to do with or how to buy them? You can give us a call. This is the panel for you. The number is 866-733-6786. Forum at kqed.org or on social work, KQED Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about how to stock up your pantry, both for uh, ease of cooking as well as economy in this economy. Joined by uh, Viola Butoni. Author of Italy by Ingredient, Artisanal Foods, Modern Recipes. KQED food editor Luke Sai, because this is all you can eat, our regular food series every other Wednesday. Also joined by Ali Slagle, creator of the newsletter 40 Ingredients Forever, and Linda Tay Esposito, who's a chef and a culinary educator at 18 Reasons, among other places. Want to bring in uh, another caller before we bring in our next guest, Bruno in Gilroy. Welcome.
6: Uh, yeah hi thank you can you hear me
3: yes welcome to the show
6: Uh great uh, yeah so I am a, sh- uh, a chef I'm currently uh, work as a private chef uh, for a family but uh, I do a lot of cooking at home and uh, I think you know uh, for me what's very important is always to keep different type of stocks at home so a, uh, a clear fish stock a clear chicken or beef stock for sure and then uh, what we call the veal stock reduced by half, then it mm. becomes something called a dummy glass. Because um, people always know dummy glass, but it really means, translates into half glaze. Mm. And I also keep some fully reduced veal stock, which becomes a glaze or glass of beyond. And I freeze that in very small little <clears throat> like pellets. Huh because it's just my wife and I. And then uh, if I want to make a quick sauce, I just reach you know, for one in the freezer, or it in the pan, it makes a wonderful s- sauce. I do want to mention, because I, I get that question asked all the time, is what is the difference between a broth and a stock? <laughs> and I'm gonna say, uh, a broth is something that's usually seasoned, ready for consumption on its own. Where a stock, is not, there's no seasoning, no salt, very little spices. It should be something very, uh, I don't want to say bland, but it's like the, the canvas of a painting. It's something that's on which you can establish, you know, your cooking. It's a, it gives you a strong foundation, but yet you don't have a like an overwhelming spice that, you know, that's just going to flavor all your sauces. So for example, you know, you don't want to put fennel in a, in a stock because, you know, it might go well with one recipe, but not with others. Yeah. So, you know, so just, uh, i wanted to
3: plan that out bruno great advice i love this uh stock advice and and clearly i mean when i have chicken stock in the fridge that i have just made from a chicken it actually does change the rest of the things that i make that week because i know okay i've got that which means that structures uh the the rest of what's going to happen um linda esposito um how do you think about different stocks across different cuisines especially you know do you do you make when you make stock do you make it kind of um, canvas style as Bruno was indicating I love that or do you add uh, spicing in from from the beginning
8: um I always keep a canvas stock, like a, a chicken, you know, uh, yeah. bone stock. Um, but if I'm, you know, going to set up a class where we're going to be doing, you know, Vietnamese cooking, then, you know, I always would add in all the other um, ingredients that are that are in that cuisine, like lemongrass, galangal, onions, uh, so that you flavor it and it will, you know, permeate through the entire meal.
3: Yeah. Um. Another question for you. Uh, Amanda writes, lately, I've noticed recipes calling for both light and dark soy sauce. What is the difference? And can I substitute just regular soy sauce?
8: Ah, that's a, that's a really good uh, question. Um, light soy sauce is actually a saltier soy sauce. And a dark soy sauce is a sweet soy sauce. It's a sweeter soy sauce. Um, from where I come from, I'm Malaysian Chinese. Our dark soy sauce is actually called a caramel sauce. Um, and it actually doesn't even have soy in it. <laughs> it's uh, it's actually burnt sugar. And so um, I, you know, for Malaysian co- cooking or recipes, if it calls for dark soy sauce, I actually tell people to substitute it with blackstripe like, molasses. Um, If they can't find, you know, the sweet, you know, pretty much like kecap manis, the Indonesian kecap manis is like sweet soy sauce. Um, And uh, like soy sauce is pretty much, you know, in the US, I think that you can equate it to, you know, generic soy sauce.
3: Thank you for that um ali slagle another question that comes starting to pour in here so that's why i'm running lightning round a listener asks i'm never sure what to keep on hand for my type one diabetic child who eats a low carb diet most of my friends give their kids pesto pasta for dinner in a pinch that would be terrible for us we need last minute pantry meals geared around protein beans are an obvious choice and tuna doesn't work for the picky amongst us and i never think to defrost meat until it's too late do you have any tips uh for her ali
2: well, I was going to say beans because that is my answer as well. Um, we've already talked about beans a little bit, but the whole world eats beans. So it's such a great blank canvas. Um, other things. Let me think. Other proteins. Um, I One of my 40 ingredients is actually tempeh. I think it's such a versatile hmm. um ingredient to use. Um, But when I think about substituting in general, I think about what the ingredient is contributing. So pasta is fairly mild and it's kind of a bulk ingredient. So what else is fairly mild and neutral? Beans. I think in many dishes when there is pasta, you could make the same sauce and just dress beans. Yeah.
3: I also, you know, most of the pasta substitutes I find kind of gross, but I, I do like the ones that are made from garbanzo, and I actually think they're, they're pretty decent, actually. Um, Sarah, uh, let's add one uh, final guest. Sarah Kernan is chef and former owner of Miss Ollie's. Welcome to the show.
7: Hello. Thank you for having me.
3: I oh, always love to hear your voice. Um,
7: <laughs> well, thank you. Uh,
3: what's your pantry? How, how, do you, what, how do you approach this topic?
7: um i have a very an interesting pantry cuz um it varies but it's obviously very very supportive of the caribbean um so lots of spices lots of um allspice cumin um dried thyme fresh thyme um big on the spices um various different sugars um vinegars citrus um yeah it's a it's a i i would say it's a typical caribbean pantry or larder as we call it
3: what if people would like to extend their pantries uh so that they can can make a lot of the things um that you make or at least attempt them like Mm -hmm. where would they go to stock up like what's a good spot to to kind of do more afro-caribbean cooking
7: you know i find lately that um a lot of supermarkets are carrying you know are getting a li- little bit more diverse mm. um currently I'm actually working with Mandela Grocery in West Oakland, oh yeah, and, and they have a wonderful spice selection, like a really wonderful spice selection. They carry coconut milks, they carry various different sugars, they carry plantains and and so for something that's accessible it's it's one stop from you know West Oakland Bart. Um, but also there's many Africans, uh, African stores in the Bay that carry a lot, lots of Caribbean cuisine. And then you find that there's a crossover that we, I, I think the, first, the person that just spoke about burnt sugar, we use a lot of burnt sugar in our cuisine in the Caribbean. So I've gone to Asian stores and found coconut vinegar and things. So I feel the world is becoming a little bit more accessible in the sense mm. that there's a lot of crossover. Yeah.
3: Um, you know, one of our callers, uh, Lisa, has a question that I think is is great for you, Sarah. Go ahead, Lisa. Welcome to the show.
8: Oh, yeah. Hi. Um, I, I uh, really appreciate the show. Um, one of the things, though, that I feel like you can't really substitute is fresh herbs. Mm-hmm. And I wondered how um, your, um, yeah. your panel feels about that. I just think that. Even if you live in an apartment, you can have a little tiny herb garden. Thyme, maybe a
6: little basil. <laughs> I just think it makes an enormous difference. I'm French American, and so it really, you know, we really are into fresh herbs. So, yeah. and I
8: imagine your Italian guest feels similarly to me. So, yeah.
6: I I wondered what people thought about that.
3: Thanks, Lisa. Let's uh, let's ask first, uh, Sir, because you mentioned um both having fresh and dried like how do you yeah. how do you see that that spread and you know they do different things right yeah
7: of course i mean i keep fresh herbs in my fridge in a mason jar of water a little bit of water in the bottom and they will last honestly like thyme and oregano will you can see them last up for up to 2 weeks yeah. if you keep it in your fridge yeah
3: no, 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 absolutely and so-
7: Oh, go, ahead. go ahead. Go
3: no. Go ahead. Yeah, and and the dried no. versions are just kind of. I I actually think of them as just like something totally separate, almost like a like a. Different yeah.
7: They,
0: thing.
7: Yeah. So what I do is, that, and when they're coming to end of life, I I take the leaves off and then I add them to salt and let them dry out. And so then I have seasoned salt with herbs, which is another good way of like adding herbs to your to your food with with salt as well.
3: I love that. Uh, and Viola, do you want to talk a little bit about how, your approach to, to herbs? Like what are the the fresh herbs that you make sure to keep fresh? What are ones you keep dried and, and you know, or both?
5: I keep uh, most herbs fresh and I have a, a, an approach similar to Sara for keeping them, except I wrap them in a dampened towel. And again, they can last like three, four weeks if you change the towel even once. And by towel, I mean like a paper towel. Um I, there are certain herbs that I will never use dry. Basil is one, parsley is the other, marjoram, I I will never use dry. Um, Some, some herbs like uh, sage, oregano, especially, I occasionally use dry. Uh, But yes, I agree with your caller. I think her name was Lisa that, yes, there is no substitute for fresh herbs. That is absolutely true.
3: Lisa in Oakland, thank you so much for that. Okay, here is one that's coming up uh, in a few different comments. Listener writes: I always have a uh, bouillon available. I keep better than bouillon, chicken, vegetable, and mushroom flavored, and have these available to add uh, flavor to rice, vegetables, and other dishes. I feel like in some people's Mexican cooking, they use the North <laughs> uh bouillon like all the time. Um, Maybe we'll do like a little a little round robin. Perhaps starting with um, Sarah. Why don't you go?
7: (laughs) I'm like bought bouillon, like like bouillon cubes.
3: Yeah, like a bouillon cube.
7: Yeah, I'm not a fan. (laughs) How come? I mean, unless I've seen some jars that don't contain MSG, Um, I think. I think you can make these things at home if you have, you know, in, enough time to put that stuff together. I'm not a fan of, like, buying those kind of pastes because I think they're super salty or they have things in that we shouldn't be ingesting. Um, so, yeah, I'm not I'm not a number one fan of that. Sorry.
3: Yeah. Yeah. A- Ali, do you uh, do you agree with that?
2: Um, I. I have. I didn't grow up with bouillon. Really, I have always just used chicken stock or broth in my dishes. But I have found that there's something about that saltiness that you you do kind of want sometimes. Like Lipton chicken noodle soup is what I grew up eating when I was sick, and sometimes I want to replicate that, like r- kind of assertively saltiness when I'm not feeling very good. So I have been known to use bouillon in in certain dishes. Yes, but I have found that the better than bouillon which is the jar that's refrigerated um is just like more distilled in real ingredients and um more delicious than than the cubes but if you like the cubes then you should use them (laughs) um
3: this is another individual um flavoring agent that i have long wondered about peter writes in I must have Maggie seasoning sauce in my pantry. My father is German and grew up with it, and so he passed it to me. It's a salty, bouillon-type sauce that I often use to substitute for plain salt. I put it in dressing, all kinds of meat and vegetables. When I was a kid, I always tried to lick the bottle tip. Peter, that's gross. My parents were always chasing me uh, out of the kitchen. I I have to say, I also grew up uh, with Maggie sauce have no idea what it is it's like one of those things that's like uh in my childhood but I never have investigated as an adult Luke side do you do you know what it is
1: I mean it it is like a lot of it is msg <laughs> um, which, which which I know is is a somewhat controversial um ingredient um but uh Maggie's like I love it you know and I think that you know so for instance uh you know I've talked on the show a lot about my love for garlic noodles Um, and so Maggie seasoning is like one of the uh, core ingredients, um, in a lot of garlic noodle recipes. It's just garlic, um, fish sauce, Maggie seasoning, oyster sauce, um, and, a and a ton of garlic, right. Um, and that, that forms the base for garlic noodles. Um, so I do think, um, it is a great ingredient if you want to just, I mean, you, you have to use it sparingly, um, but to just add that punch of saltiness and also umami um and i think it's one of those interesting um ingredients that has like a huge cross-cultural following because like a lot of asian folks love it um but it's also extended um you know into latin america and you know lots of folks around the, the world love that ingredient yeah totally um
3: let's uh well you know here we have a bunch of like interesting little comments here that I want to get to. One listener writes, I'd like to put in a plug for small local ethnic markets like Diablo Oriental Foods in Walnut Creek. They have great selections and knowledgeable staff. Another person says, you know, one thing we always have is dried shiitake mushrooms. After rehydrating in water, we put in soups and broth, chopped up for sticky rice or vegetable dishes, also miso paste for soup and Instant ramen we always have. Another listener writes, Buckwheat is a low glycemic and a decent protein. Cooks quickly. Great for all sorts of add-ins. I love it with mushrooms or even as a hot breakfast cereal. Tony over on the Discord says, I stock up on toasted sesame seeds and then put them on avocado toast, salads, granola, poke. Anything to add. A little crunch. Another listener says, Fresh parsley is often overlooked, but it's bright, mild, delicious, very healthy. Noel on the Discord writes, Dijon mustard or Sierra Nevada stout stone ground mustard makes a vinaigrette dressing really good. Also, we have something like a stew that needs more flavor. Throw in some strong mustard. Um, total lightning round here for everybody. Don't have to say much more than the ingredient itself. What's the one ingredient you could not live without in your kitchen? Allie Slagle, we'll start with you. Eggs. Eggs oh man that's a good one that's a really good one um luke sai how about you garlic garlic oh that's good too sarah kernan rice rice linda tay
8: uh chili oil a recipe Ooh. you can find in viola's book
3: oh nice oh that's great <laughs> i love a little you know cross uh cross marketing um and viola
5: anchovies anchovies
3: i i have to say viola i'm gonna try some of your anchovy recipes out of your your new book italy by ingredient because my seven-year-old loves anchovies so much she loves all the little fishes and she's trying to lead me to the promised land of ocean healthy small fish uh i'm i'm trying but it's hard (laughs) um what's one we could try for anchovies (laughs)
5: In my book, you could try, what well, the marinated anchovies are great. Um, and also the chicken with the colatura you would love, which is like kind of like the anchovy drippings that come out when the anchovies are, are mature, when they're ripened. Um, you would love that one. It's okay. good with chicken breast, but you can also use another meat.
3: I will try that. <laughs> This has been our latest installment of All You Can Eat, our regular collaboration with KQED Food Editor Luke Side. Thank you so much, Luke. We're also have been joined by Ali Slagle, creator of the newsletter 40 Ingredients Forever. Uh, Viola Butoni, who's got a new cookbook out, it's called Italy by Ingredient, Artisanal Foods, Modern Recipes, also a forum listener, love when our listeners become guests. (laughs) Linda Tay Esposito uh, is a chef and a culinary educator who specializes in Southeast Asian cuisine, teaches at 18 Reasons. And Sarah Kernan is a chef, uh, an activist, a fixture of the community and a forum, also former owner of Miss Ollie's legendary restaurant i'm alexis madrigal thank you so much to all of our guests and everyone who called and wrote in stay tuned for the next hour forum with mina kim
0: Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation.